Greetings, and welcome to the second season of the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm Daniel Burkholder, a dancer currently based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and thanks so much for joining me for this new season. It's been a little while, but I'm excited to get going again on these episodes. In today, this first episode, I talk with Melanie George, a dancer and choreographer who specializes in jazz dance. I've known Melanie for, for many years, but this is really the first time we've um, spent talking about improvisation. I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Here's a little bit about her. Melanie George is an educator, choreographer, and scholar. She's the founder of Jazz Is Dance Project and the audience educator and dramaturge for Lumberyard. Melanie has presented her choreography and research on jazz dance improvisation and pedagogy throughout the U.S. and Canada and Scotland and founded the global jazz dance advocacy website, jazzdancedirect.com. Publications include Jazz Dance, Pop Culture in the Music Video Era, In Jazz Dance, A History of the Roots and Branches, and Embed, Embed, Two Perspectives on Dance and Collaboration for Working Together in Qualitative Research. As a dramaturg, she has contributed projects by Kimberly Bartosik Dahlia, Raja Feather Kelly, Susan Marshall and Company, Urban Bushwomen, B.B. Miller, Kathy Westwater, Alice Shepard, and Caleb Teicher and Company. Please check out the show notes for links for more information about Melanie. And here's my conversation. Enjoy. Well, hello, Melanie, and thank you so much for joining to talk with me today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Um, so this is kind of, we've kind of touched a little bit on some of this, some of these things I want to touch on today, but I'm really looking forward to kind of uh, digging in a little, be- little bit deeper today. Um, so I just want to like jump right in is could you just start and I, I assume we'll kind of branch off and, and touch on lots of these things but I kind of just to a way as a way to start could you talk about how um, you incorporate improvisation into your work or how improvisation informs some of the work that you do sure um, you know like everyone well, I should say everyone but like I think most uh, people in my age group uh, uh, I'm 46. Um, I come out of, you know, an academic environment where all of our teachers were post Judson people, you know, and yeah. so certainly uh, improvisation was always a part of my higher education experience. Um, and I was interested in it for a long time, but I don't really think I knew what that meant. Um, and then it, when I got to graduate school um, at American University, I was really focusing on research centering around jazz dance, and it sort of occurred to me one day, um, oh, you know, if you're a virtuosic jazz musician, you have to know how to improvise, <laughs> but like, why, are, why, why was I never asked as a jazz dancer to do that? And so um, it, it kind of all stems from that question. Everything I've done since then has all stems from that, that essential question, yeah. um, and um, certainly because my modern dance teachers taught me improvisation has always been a tool for generating choreography. Um, but, uh, I'd say postgraduate school, I began to actively incorporate it as a tool for performing on stage, um, which was new for me. Um, and I, and honestly, I, I think it's fair to say new for every jazz dancer who encountered me because <laughs> um, <laughs> that wasn't what they thought they were getting into. Um, and so uh, it, it's, it shows up in most of the work that I make. Um, it 
certainly shows up in my ongoing practice of uh, exploring my musicality. Um, and, and then now I'd say at this point, I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of teaching of other people's students. Um, it shows up in, um, as a teaching tool for creating a jazz dance voice in students. I think it's probably the, the fairest way to say that. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 all. There's a lot to I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess uh, going back to, and I want to come back to the pedagogical point or, or section of this, but um, the as a kind of choreographic tool, um, both in terms of developing movement and also as a performance tool. How do you approach like when you're working, say, with a group of dancers that are going to be in a piece you're creating and that there's going to be some improvisational material or sections within that piece, how do you approach kind of getting them ready to perform? And then also how is that kind of um, framed within the performance? Uh, so this has evolved over, um, gosh, so I started graduate school in 2001. <laughs> uh, but this has evolved over what's almost 20 years at this point. Um, that was, I'll be really honest and say in the beginning, I didn't really have any kind of framework for it. I was still using the models that modern dancers had taught me. And it isn't that there's not things applicable from that, but it was very nonspecific. Um, and uh, what I've sort of recently, fairly recently discovered um, was this idea of a shared vocabulary. Um, and I, I, I'm, that is, I'm not taking credit for this idea. I was really fortunate to um, be a guest artist at the University of Idaho um, in conjunction with the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival mm -hmm. two years ago, and uh, and I and at this point I had been doing a lot of improvisatory work, but I was because I was at this festival as a as a dance artist, I was allowed to go to a lot of the music clinics that the students were there for, and I went to this clinic on. Improv I think it was like improvisation in the blues or something like that. And this woman, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, um, but she said something about having a shared vocabulary, that that the way that people are able to improvise in the blues is because there are some known knowns um, before they start to improvise, that everyone everyone involved in the composition knows about everyone knows the key signature everyone knows the time signature everyone knows what the melody is. like and i thought and this was such a bizarre bizarre epiphany for me because i was like of course <laughs> why had i not thought about this <laughs> you know and so that i kind of took that idea and overlapped it with some other things i had been discovering for a while which was um, the sort of Melanie vocabulary that I saw reappearing from dance to dance in different ways, but I just kept kind of coming back to this bank of dance steps, if you will, mm -hmm. um, as someone who's not really attached to steps very much. Um, uh, but I, but was finding that I was using or reusing or, if, or if not reusing, finding it as a good place to start, to find my way into movement or an idea or getting other students to dance um, and I just began to outline like, okay, so what are these steps? And that bank of steps began to grow and grow and grow. And so, um, now when I approach 
inviting and I'm going to ask about pedagogy, but I'd say I do this in a in a rehearsal context that, that with professionals as well, which is that um, we start with the the bank of vocabulary first. And I go through like, you know, it's I don't know how many things are on that. I usually have a whiteboard and I just write them all up there and we just learn each learn them step by step by step. And what I do is I'll teach them and I'll, and I'll have music playing the whole time. And um, and then I say, OK, go away and explore that step. You know, and we go to the next one and the next one and the next one. So we have this massive amount of movement. Um, and then they're not starting from nothing. Mm-hmm. And they're not responsible for having to constantly invent all of the time. Um, and I found that this the other thing at this box that this checked, which was the hardest thing with, with improvisation for jazz, for me for the longest time was how to get dancers to not default to improvising like modern dancers coming out of jazz dance vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And so by giving them these, this bank of jazzy steps, I kind of removed that <laughs> from the equation, you know, for a little bit. And then we play, we just play with these things. And then, and then we play with doing them rhythmically. We play with relationships. We play with, uh, musicality, you know, but we always keep coming back to, okay, here are like 20 things you can do, <laughs> you know, in the context of the thing that we're playing with that we're making. Um, and when you get lost, I just, I, and they start getting lost, I just keep pointing back to the board. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, here are those things, you know, and also on that board are like my little hit, you know, list of helpful hints and um, I identify different ways they can have relationships with the music. and um, But this has proved for me to be really successful because, um, you know, students with jazz are so, – the idea of improvisation is so unfamiliar, and so as a result it's very frightening. And I think when you layer that generationally with um, the – teaching model that a lot of these kids come out of, and I'm calling them kids, even though many of them are young adults because they're in college, <laughs> but they're younger than me, right? So uh, um, the model, the teaching model they've come out of, which you know is very much like a post no child left behind model in which people are taught to the test. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of, of being inventive and creative through no fault of their own is frightening and, and it can shut them down. And so this, um, by giving them a bunch of content up front and just taking away one of the most frightening variables, it actually frees them up to be able to do things. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's a really interesting approach. And um, I want to, one thing you said that I was, that I'm really interested in is you said different ways or different kinds of relationships you have, they can have to the music. And that seems yeah. so at co- so core to what I've what you've talked about and what I've read and what you, you know, what I, what I know about your work, that relationship is so important. Could you talk more about that? Sure. Um, so musicality is really primary for me. And, and I will say as a young dancer, a younger dancer, um, uh, when I left the, the dance studio world and went into college, um, and again, it's a result of the the post Judson, you know, educational model that I, that I was a product of musicality was devalued, frankly, and I was taught to ignore it for a really, really long time. And the 
kind of sad thing about that is um, it is my greatest strength as a dancer. (laughs) (laughs) And so the thing that was effortless for me was the thing that I wasn't allowed to actually focus on, you know, Mm -hmm. and I and I had grown suspicious of it because I had to been taught to devalue it. Uh, So I spent a lot of time dealing with music in my own work and as a way to sort of get to know it again, um, which I think is just going to be this sort of lifelong pursuit. Um, I'm a jazz dancer who works with jazz music and um, because I'm working with younger dancers who've um, almost never danced with jazz music or if they have, it's been in some sort of like big band swing thing, um, uh, which is, it's not that that music isn't complex because it actually is very organizationally complex, but it's purposeful dance music. And so it's not difficult to follow, you know, um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time just sort of negotiating music and teaching other students how to listen to jazz. And part of listening is learning how to have a relationship with it. And sometimes um, you're going to be in harmony with it. And sometimes you're going to choose dissonance. And sometimes um, you're echoing it. Sometimes uh, you're having a silent relationship with it. Like, I, you know, and so what I do is I just kind of throw up these maybe five or six different possible relationships the students can have. And I don't explain them, honestly, because I've spent a lot of time explaining that bank of movement. (laughs) And I spent a lot of time talking about rhythm. Uh, And I feel like their, their choice to have a relationship is a, is a fairly personal one. And I don't want to outline the way I might approach those relationships. And so I, and and again, um, because I'm frequently dealing with college students, there are some really sophisticated things they know about, how to improvise that are still applicable, (laughs) you know? And so I'm transposing it to being a relationship to music, but these same ideas about how to have relationship within a dance can be, you know, it can be relationship to environment. It can be relationship to a partner. It can be like all of, it's all the same stuff, right? Um, I just talk about it with the music and I throw these ideas up there and then I say, okay, you know, now that you've explored the movement, uh, now I'm here's some other stuff for you to consider. You guys figure out what this means for you. And let's try one, pick one. And then we'll do a round. We'll do these sort of rounds. I call them rounds, mm-hmm. uh, which aren't quite ciphers. Sometimes it can take the form of a cipher, but it frequently is not. It frequently is um, sort of coexisting individualization <laughs> um, happening in the room. And then just say, make some choices. That's the other thing. It's always about making choices. I think everything's a choice. Often they'll say, well, what do you want me to do? Or what should I be doing? And, and they're wonderful because they have great questions a lot of the times. And I'm frustrating because I'll say, I don't know, make a choice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I have zero interest in being the ultimate truth with this information. You know, to me, it's all about, like, it's a conduit to get to other things. I'm a conduit to get to other things. You know, I'm, there's not one way to do it. I, what I love about incorporating the improvisation is everyone gets to maintain, retain their individuality. Mm-hmm. And again, thinking about how that musicality thing was kind of stolen from me for a long time. I really um, value being able to be myself within the movement. And I'm trying to cultivate that with others through improvisation. Yeah, it, um, I think this gets to kind of what the bubbling next question for me was. It makes a lot of sense as a as someone who is so deeply invested in jazz dance as a 
as the complex art form it is and its relationship to jazz music and that in jazz music improvisation is a given and in jazz dance for so long and there's so many situations it's not even considered so wanting to kind of um kind of bring that aspect back into the practice um it also reminds me if i was able to kind of read some of the paper that you sent me and one of the things that you said is um improvisation uh, gives the performer or elevates them for to to a place of active citizenship from performer yeah. to creator yeah. um and this idea of uh, the practice being more democratic than you know dictatorial or something yeah i just think that um uh and, it's, and I think this is really steeped in, in my identity as an educator, more more so than really my identity as a choreographer, though those things are, you know, massively intertwined, right. um, is I want to help students to feel actualized in the work. I don't want robots. I, don't, I really am not interested in getting them to dance like Melanie. Yeah. Because only Melanie can dance like Melanie, and, mm-hmm. you know, only Daniel can dance like Daniel, and that's just, like, not... It's just not a val. I just don't have that value anymore. I mean, I can be very um, hyper specific with giving notes in a rehearsal, but um, that's the mechanics. They're still not necessarily dancing like me, you know. And I, you know, I. It's it's interesting because I think that for some factions of the jazz dance world, my work can come across as being unformed to them because there's a lot of sort of spacing that results organically like this is where we are now in face so this is where the movement's happening you know there's not a there's not tons of like shifting bodies all around the room and these organized formations and you know and right. and there's a mastery to that and part of frankly part of why um that doesn't work for me is that um i have um i have a slight learning disability when it comes to symbols and space and so uh i just never really mastered that skill to a way that was satisfactory to me and i thought well why are you trying to fit this square peg in the round hole of your brain that <laughs> where it doesn't work and so so there, so then add to that sort of perception of formlessness all of this improvisation you know mm-hmm. and what people don't see is how remarkably complex it is to be able to make that stuff happen on stage right <laughs> you know like it is it's improv is not people just doing any old thing cuz they want to do it you know mm-hmm. and the only way to get that to work is to create an environment where people feel safe to make choices and that the dance is as much theirs as it's mine. And it's actually it's more theirs than it's mine, yeah. you know? And so there is, there often is no ideal version of the work, you know? And, and I'm always trying to find ways to upset the work being the same from night to night. I'm always looking for these variables. And and that, to me, is the true overlap between the post-Judson era and the way the jazz improvisers were working. I mean, you know, what Cunningham was doing and what Ornette Coleman were doing, was doing, uh, is the same thing. <laughs> you know, not necessarily the specifics of it, but philosophically yeah same thing you know and and i'm just really curious about how do i work as someone who does like structure how do i work within that but still try to insert these variables into it where like i'm gonna be still surprised by the work and the people in the work 
or in the rehearsal room or in the classroom or like they're going to surprise themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and giving up responsibility to them for that. You know, that like because with citizenship becomes comes responsibility. Right. <laughs> yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, cool. So I guess maybe um, if if you could be a, a little more specific in a way of like when you are when you're making this work and you have this section that is improvisation, what kind of constraints or rules or frameworks do you do you give the students how much how little in terms of that improvisational practice and how it relates to what else is happening in the piece yeah it really it's specific to the work to be honest to be honest with you and so um uh the more sort of structured the material the more parameters there will be in the work and honestly the more um novice the dancers are with the material the more parameters there will be the more comfortable everyone is the more i sort of strip away those ideas because they're you know already at a place where they can just make those decisions for themselves so um so i'm you know if i'm making something i might i usually center it around okay we're gonna have a conversation through movement and I want your responses to, I might say, okay, so we're going to have this movement conversation and I, and I want you to restrict your conversations to being, your conversation to being about gesture mm-hmm. and the gesture needs to be rhythmic. And then I'll, and we'll do a few rounds of, you know, playing with this and I'll, and then I'll begin to look at them as individuals and I might say, okay, Daniel, um, that was fantastic. I'm really interested in this thing you're doing. You are not allowed to do X anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Right. Because I know that that's your that's that's your default, and you're only going to do that thing over and over again. Right. So you can do anything but this one particular thing, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. And then and then Daniel might look at me with panic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what's yeah. left? I'm like everything else is left, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Sometimes those things are you know are related to uh, specific movements. Sometimes it can be related to how they're using their gaze. Um. A, one of the sort of um underlying uh values that i am always like sort of shouting out when they're improvising is that they have to see the room when they have to see each other they can't space out mm-hmm. um, when they're dancing and it's it would be unfair for me to say that improvisation in modern dance is always this spaced out focus but what i will say is that the spaced out focus is allowed <laughs> to me because the way the, because I'm basing my jazz dance improvisation on a, on a jazz music model that I find to be effective. That's a choice that I've made. Um, you can't not listen to people when you're improvising in jazz. And so the visual for me is comparable to that, is that you can't not see the people that you're trying to create this thing with. Yeah. Um, and even when I'm doing solo work, I still say, I need you to be in the room with me. You know, like I need the audience to know that you're in the room with them. And that relates a lot to gaze. So um, sometimes I'll say, okay, I need you to, I need you to use your gaze differently. I need you to see the room. I need you to see people that you're dancing with. Um, sometimes I'll go to that bank of steps and I'll say, okay, these four things are off the table. You guys can't do any of these things. I, you know, I wanted you to know what they are, but I don't think they're germane to the thing that we're making right now. And, and those things often don't reveal themselves until I'm actually starting to make the thing. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, um, we begin to, so that's all scoring material. And sometimes we begin to set things. So if I'm giving more parameters, we, we begin to set things and then we establish where things aren't going to be set. So they get this frame of 
the order of events is going to sort of be this, but the way we get there might be a little scallopy or it might be a little circuitous or, you know, at this point you could have any kind of reaction you want. Um, and that's interesting because then they'll often begin to set things and I have to keep, I have to keep my eyes in the room to begin to recognize what their patterns are. Yeah. You know, the larger the group, the more like a hawk I have to watch that because it's really easy for those little individual moments to just, to just sort of be missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while in the greater scheme of things, one person's decision to set something versus improvise it would never be noticed by the audience, but it changes the dynamic energy of the work. Right. You know, and you can truly see it. You know, they're much more alert when they're having to improvise and relate to each other, no matter how much of the frame has been set. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, it's really, it's just, it's always for me so interesting um, the different pathways or the different approaches people have to bringing improvisation within their work, regardless of um, what kind of form, or even if it's music or theater or whatever. Just that. Um, it seems like one of the consistence is this idea of um, constantly kind of honing through constraints, most oftenly, um, to get to something more essential. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd also say um, we talk a lot in my rehearsals. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll explore this stuff, whether it just be going through rounds of improvisation or actually setting material and we'll do it and I'll say, okay, so let's talk about what just happened. (laughs) Um, Because I feel like um, in the same way that I'm not interested in them spacing out, I want their brains to stay active and, and it will eventually it will get to a point where they're making decisions and we don't need to talk about it. But um, because it's so new and different, and and for every dance, the the parameters are different, um, the ingredients are different. I want us to all be able to like name those things mm-hmm. and identify what they are and figure out what's on the table and what's off the table and why, and and then talk about like what's your experience to that thing. You know, when I say okay. Daniel, you're not allowed to do the scrunch. So like one of the things in the movement bank is a step called the scrunch, which is a you know vernacular jazz step. And I'll say, okay, Daniel, for you, scrunch is off the table. No more scrunching for you. And then, and then you know, you might have a you might have a feeling about that. Right. <laughs> and I feel like it's okay to bring that in the room too. You know, you might say, oh, the reason that I keep going back to the step is because this feels comfortable to me because of blah blah blah. And I'll say, I said that's great. So then that, let's identify what are those elements that you're trying to get to without. You relying on this step, we end up having conversations where it um, becomes it all. It, it, it makes the process be pulled apart more and more and more, um, and then they begin to see, they begin to see that it's all choices, mm-hmm. you know, and that we're both in the room making choices at the same time, um, and and that and you know the thing you were saying about it's you know like maneuvering through or negotiating through or calibrating around these different constraints that's choices right that that's like because the constraints are things that we've decided you know and one of the things that I often say to to dancers is you know the I say this to choreographers too because I have a whole other career as a dramaturg um I say uh you know the only rules that exist right now are the ones we've decided exist we've put them on ourselves and so in this improv environment, I'll say, well, then let's figure out which are the ones that are actually serving us and which are the ones that 
aren't. <laughs> Which are the ones that you think are rules that they, they aren't. <laughs> right. Know? Well, it's, it's interesting because there's a, um, it's almost like um, you're creating this, by having these conversations, you're creating this this history that that is kind of the foundation for for the performance, and also almost um, a value system for this piece. Like these are the things we value and that we're aiming for in this piece. And partly the way to accomplish that is for the conversations to happen so that everybody has an understanding of what we're all or you all are working towards uh, when it gets time yeah. to performance. That's a great way to say it. I often use the phrase value or value system um, in talking about art, and um, and and I, I guess to like push that I, that that analogy or metaphor of the citizenship and the democracy. Like, yeah, we make a little constitution, you know, as we're, as right. we're yeah. As yeah. moving our way through this piece, you know, that's you know that's only you know relevant to this piece, and certainly those there's some things that are gonna be in all of the works but then there's some things that are really only specific to a particular dance and, and it'll be interesting when I'm trying to like restage that dance and then I'll try to figure out like why in watching a video of something like why why are we making this choice right, <laughs> right and then I remember oh because we established one of these things as being a value mm -hmm. um and so you know if if x then y you know because <laughs> sort of happens and yeah. and those are those moments where I'm like, oh, that's really interesting how we got there. Um, and and then when you're re when I'm restaging a piece, I decide if those things still ring true with the with this whole new cast, yeah. you know, and um, and maybe maybe I was putting some constraints on myself when I made it that, that don't feel relevant now. And 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 so then I'm interrogating those choices. You know, it's it's I suspect for a lot of people who are into really dancey dance. <laughs> It all of this hyper intellectual um, and maybe a little too academic, right? Uh, but it's literally the way my brain works. So, um, but it's really, it's really, it's so interesting to me because I, I totally hear that, and that makes sense as you know, as we're having these conversations, and 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 some of it can probably seem pretty esoteric, but at the same time, it's like in that practice of improvisation for me is the place that I feel most visceral, most kind of um, in that dancey dance place. Same, you know, when I allowed myself to start improvising, like truly improvising in jazz dance as a way to generate material and not just like phrase building, mm -hmm. um, it was like, I, I mean, it was orgasmic. It was euphoric. Like, I, you know, I try and I was like, oh, oh, what is this? <laughs> you know, like, what is this thing I'm feeling? And so, you know, we're talking about it right now and I'm outlining all of this stuff. But, you know, some of the things I'm saying are happening, are happening non-verbally, you know, yeah. and and certainly the more um, the more experienced and comfortable the dancer is, the less I have to talk, you know, mm -hmm. um, which is really fun. Because then I'm doing decoding without us having talked about it, and I'm learning new things. And then I might throw out, "Hey, did you guys know that this that this thing is happening right now?" Right, <laughs> you know, right. be way into a process and like, "Hey," or we're and we're just talking. We're just you know sort of uh, you know debriefing, and I'll say, "Hey, did you know that, that that the reason that this is happening is because this is a pattern that we've established that we never really talked about?" You know, and and that's fun too. Um, but I'm at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a process nerd, you know, and, uh, I, I'm, if you look at, you know, the way I've made this jazz career and my role as a dramaturg, they're all of it steeped in process. Yeah. 
you know, and that stuff really turns me on. Like it just continues to turn me on and it keeps in it as I, you know, as I age and my body doesn't do what I want it to do as well. And, um, uh, I'm still fascinated with the, um, less up, less with the what and more about the how, the why, the when, the where, Yeah. because, you know, so let's, um, I don't want to take up too much time, but I do also want to touch on, we've been talking about jazz, 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 but I would love for you to talk a, a little bit about your specific approach to jazz, neo-jazz, and how that came to be and kind of what it means for you as you put that out into the world. Yeah, this all of this goes back to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I uh, started grad school, I sort of uprooted my entire life. And I, you know, I had, had been, I wasn't that person who went straight from undergrad to grad. I had been out in the world for, I don't know, seven or eight years, yeah. uh, had developed, had, you know, some really good teaching gigs and, uh, had, you know, had, was in a dance company and, um, and this was, all of this was my modern dance life, frankly. Um, and, uh, and then I decided I was going to go to grad school and it wasn't like a wiping of, the slate clean, but at some point I just kind of honed in on jazz. And I think part of it was I was hired on the adjunct faculty my second semester into being there um, to teach the jazz classes. And because I was in grad school and everything was about inquiry, I began to interrogate the way I've been teaching jazz. You know, I taught the way I'd been taught. And um, it isn't that those aren't perfectly useful ways of teaching, but it was a lot of um, that sort of uh, direct teaching model where I, I show, you do, mm-hmm. and uh, I was the keeper of all the information, and um, and it was about, it was exclusively about developing a physical, technical skill set. Um, so as I began to look at like, okay, what am I doing with this? I also was beginning to make, I was making a jazz piece, um, a piece called Shouts, Smears and Muted Rhapsodies, which is actually still in my repertoire all these years later. Um, and it's a trio. And uh, so I was improvising and began to ask that essential question about, like, why is there no improvisation? And then trying to figure out how to get the undergraduate general education students in my jazz classes <laughs> to improvise. So that was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and as I and, – and, and I think I haven't said is I grew up in a household with jazz music. Um, mm. My father is uh, – um, aficionado and my parents are you know significantly older than me they're like 40 years older than me and so we're a couple of generations apart and when they were young people because they were born in the 30s jazz music was America's popular music you know mm-hmm. um, so uh, I grew up knowing how to listen to jazz from a like a very early age like three and four years old you know the first song I think I ever learned how to sing was Salt Peanuts by Dizzy Gillespie and, and uh, uh, um, Charlie Parker, so which only has two words, by the way, salt. <laughs> but um, so I already knew how to listen to jazz, and instinctively I knew how to move to it because I'd always move to it because it was just in my house all of the time growing up. And uh, and then I was figuring out that okay, if I'm gonna dance to jazz, people have been dancing to jazz for much longer than me. What were they doing? You know, and and then discovering, oh, they these old these dancers from an earlier era were actually doing things that I'm doing that I didn't know had names. I didn't know that these steps already existed. I was just instinctually doing these movements. Mm. 
I still don't know why that is, um, what blood memory was passed on to me, <laughs> but there were things that I was doing that were already out in the world as steps for decades that no one had ever taught me. Um, and so as I began to develop my pedagogy, I, um, I got a, a tenure track gig at Kent State University where I was one of the two jazz specialists. And um, this was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me was because um, we had at Kent, there were four jazz classes of which two that I taught, two technique classes, these are all technique classes. And the first two classes um, were history-based jazz classes. And so I had to do, I taught the class that was like 1940 to present day. Um, and I had to do research and develop a pedagogy around incorporating history into these classes. Um, and it made me learn how to teach the stuff that I was already exploring in my choreography mm -hmm. and was being responsible for, you know, 60 years of jazz history and figuring out how to teach that, you know, um, and figuring out how to learn other styles to be able to teach those styles. And so that's really was the first journey was like, oh, I'm going to learn how to teach all these styles and I'm going to make combinations in the style of Luigi and a combination in the style of Giordano and a combination in the style of 80s video dance or, or we're going to actually learn, you know, the dance break from Thriller or any of these things, you know. Um, and this stuff just excited me so much. You know, I miss teaching those classes. It was the greatest, the greatest gift has happened was being responsible for those, for that class. Um, and, uh, and then in the next class I taught that the two more advanced classes, they were these jazz styles class. And so I taught one of those and I began to develop this material around what is, what is style in jazz. And part of the teaching of style, I did a deconstruction for them of what my style was. And concurrent to all this, I was doing my lab on movement analysis certification, which was really teaching me how to language this stuff, right? right? So out of that, as I began to identify my style uh, as a choreographer, I began to realize how historically informed it really was. And as I was sort of searching for how to figure out how to describe that, um, I don't know, a few years ago, uh, I was at this amazing jazz special topics conference at the national dance education organization held. And I was on the slate of, um, master teachers, which was like the biggest honor. Um, and, in in the conversations that were surrounding this, you know, three days of everyone being immersed in jazz, uh, someone threw out the term neo jazz. And so I, you know, I, I didn't coin this term, but I claimed it. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, and I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. You know, that I'm doing something that is very much contemporary, but it is steeped in a history. And, you know, the history of jazz dance is that it's always been sloughing off the history to try to get to the new, hot, sexy thing. And uh, I, part of what I loved about teaching that introduction to jazz styles class, which was the history based class was that I, be, I got to explore the history and rediscover that there were all these ways that I had been taught to move that no one moves in these ways anymore that were super, super useful to developing a jazz um, instrument, a physical jazz instrument, you know, your body. 
and I was still attached to those things, you know, but and being attached to those things and figuring out how to incorporate them, it didn't make my work not contemporary. And that's the hill I'm going to die on. <laughs> <laughs> Just because there's a historical basis in the work. I'm making jazz dances right now. I'm not restaging the Charleston from the 1920s and putting on some Scott Joplin, you know. I, I'm i informed by all of the things and much and very much still informed by my experiences as a modern dancer, um, even though I don't claim that the way I used to. And so it's contemporary work that's historically based, centered around, you know, some essential principles that I find are fairly absent from a lot of what, what is called contemporary jazz today. I don't see a lot of rhythm. I don't see a lot of isolation. I don't see a lot of musicality. Like, and those things to me are essential to jazz. Yeah. Um, layer that with, you know, polyrhythm and syncopation and um, uh, a sense of weightedness um, and, you know, weight shift to get to intricate footwork. Footwork as a principle is just absent. Um, and I just find it so useful. Like weight shift is the basis of so much movement in jazz, you know. Right. Without it, you don't have any jazz <laughs> up to a certain point. Like there doesn't, there's like literally no movement, you know. And right. and, and then the bigger the, the well, I shouldn't say bigger. These are all these things all coexist. But then the one thing I'll say that does speak to the this whole conversation we were having prior to me outlining what neo jazz is is improvisation <laughs> mm-hmm. and honoring the individual and the group simultaneously, you know. And so you put those. I think it's like seven, you know, things, seven elements together. And that is Melanie's version of neo-jazz. Now, having said that, I'm encouraging other people to use this term. You know, the thing that I'm always checking myself on is to make sure that in the promotion and visibility of my own work is not at the expense of other people in jazz having a voice, because jazz to me is all about community. And as much as I want to be a successful, visible, working artist, no one owns jazz, you know? Right. And uh, so I, I've been saying, you know, uh, if you think the way that I'm defining the idea, the concept of neo-jazz, historically informed contemporary jazz work, is what you do, then claim that too, you know? Because no one owns it. And it's this is the same speech I give to the students, you know, at the end of every residency that I do, is this information I've given you, it's yours to do with what you want. You know, I encourage you to explore it. I encourage you to create your own voice within this. Um, that's, a, you know, a very Africanist principle. It's how things get passed down, right? Because no one owns this. And the only way that jazz continues to live is by me not trying to, to co-opt it and behave as if, you know, I thought of these things. Nothing that I've just said about how I describe the work remotely starts with me. None of it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I just have my way of doing it. And if that's not the jazziest principle of all the principles, you know, like, <laughs> you know, we all understand right. this thing that we're doing, but there's a reason that, you know, that uh, Clifford Brown and Miles Davis play the same instrument, but they don't play alike at all. Right. But they're still jazzy. Right. So, yeah. That's kind of it, you know, and I'm super passionate about the work. and um, And that is why I'm so verbal about it in terms of getting you know the the hyper intellectual figuring out how to language it is because there's a dearth of jazz scholar jazz dance scholarship and our inability to articulate the thing that we're doing is part of the reason that our history doesn't survive Mm -hmm. 
Well, Melanie, thank you so much uh, again for taking time today to talk with me about about your practice and and your approach to jazz and improvisation. It's um, definitely a rich voice to add to this conversation about all the ways that improvisation is this kind of um, something that maybe lots of people don't recognize or even acknowledge, but is so layered into so many uh, approaches to performance and, and creativity. Uh, my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. So thanks for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Melanie George. Again, please check out the show notes for information about how to find Melanie out in the world and on the web, as well as links to info about me and the Act React podcast. In the next episode of Act React, I'll be talking with Cass Tunick. Cass and I talk about action theater and the amazing Ruth Zipora walking onto stage with absolutely no plan at all and how to train for the unknown. It was a really wonderful conversation. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So again, thanks for listening. Until next time.